Have a seat. Have a seat. Thank you. This is uh, the season for stewardship. This is Commitment Sunday. Hopefully you received some uh, commitment cards in the mail if you're a church member uh, a couple weeks ago. And it's an opportunity today to turn those cards in. In conjunction with that, we have uh, faithful stewards who come and share their testimony about the difference that, that being a steward and being faithful has made in their lives. And today, Brian and Becky Tankersley are going to come and share their experience uh, with us. So you help me welcome them now if they come and share. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I won't be long because I know you want to hear about the rock he's got in his hand. <laughs> but <laughs> growing up, I do have a distinct memory of, of my father tithing to the local church as well as serving as an eighth grade Sunday school teacher for many years. And and Brian will share in just a few minutes a very clear example of, of tithing in his family. Um, and so it's not a surprise that as soon as we got married, we began that practice too of tithing and serving and in, in the local church. Um, as I listened to Jay last week, I, I remember feeling so many of the same feelings because we went from a two-income family to single-income family and started having children and you know, still, all of our needs were met, and then some. I mean, it's just amazing how God provided everything we needed and everything we wanted, and, and nobody went without because of that. And um, so I, I always think about the scripture in Malachi because it's so appropriate that the first fruits, you tithe from the first fruits, and then the blessings come. And now, as our adult children are out on their own, we see that they are practicing the same thing. I'm just so proud. It's such a, a blessing to see how God is blessing them because they're tithing. And I, I just thank, thank God for everything that he's given me and, um, and for the opportunity to share. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you and good to be here and appreciate the opportunity that Jim afforded Becky and I to come and share. Uh, I did bring a little visual aid with me. I have, most of you know I work for the county extension office here county extension coordinator and we do a lot of show and tell so uh, uh, I want to make sure you saw my rock right here this is a good old Lincoln County rock uh, matter of fact Becky and I were in Lincoln yesterday uh, we had an aunt to pass away and we were up there and went by and picked up this rock to bring back to show you if you remember back in the Old Testament one of the great things that happened in the Old Testament was that when the Israelites when Joshua Joshua became the leader after Moses and Joshua got ready to take the people across the Jordan River. Jordan River was at flood stage but yet they had to cross and God told Joshua everything would be alright and so if you remember when they went across the Jordan River that the river stopped and the Israelites were able to cross on dry ground. Um, that's a great miracle. But in addition to that, one of the things that God told Joshua to do was to have each one of the 12 tribes to gather a stone and take it out of the river and then take it over to the side and they were going to put those stones together to make a memorial so that future generations 
that were not there to witness that miracle could know that God moved to bring those people across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. In my thoughts about that, as I was thinking, you and I have an opportunity to carry a rock. And this morning we're talking about the rock of stewardship. As Becky said, uh, her folks and my dad and my mom, they carried the rock for us. And they taught us about stewardship in their walk. My dad had a billfold that was set aside, uh, and he would keep it in their bedroom drawer, and that's where he kept the Lord's money. When he'd come home uh, from working outside off the farm, he'd cash his check, and he would put his 10% in the Lord's money billfold. And when he got ready to go on Sunday, that's where he got his money from to take to church. That was an imprint. That was a rock that he taught me. A couple of, I guess it was about a month ago, uh, my son called me and said, uh, we've been studying in our small group about finances and tithing and everything, and, and Daddy, I wanted to know what you and Mama did about tithing. How do y'all do this? Because he had a question about, you know, the 10% of the gross or 10% of the, you know, the net or whatever. And I know some of you may have that question. And I said, Ross, this is what me and Mama have been doing. And we've been blessed by that. And just to think about having that opportunity to leave that rock, to leave an example for those future generations is something that the older I get, the more value I see in that. And I hope that if you take one thing away from this is that we're a blessed country and Becky and I have been blessed beyond measure. And we know those blessings come from God. And I feel like our responsibility is to leave a rock of testimony for those that we might have contact with. And I hope as you think about that, that'll be a challenge for you too. We've got kids across here, we've got young folks across here, we've got neighbors, and as we have that opportunity to leave that testimony for future generations, I hope that'll be something that we'll think about. Thank you. stand with us. Let's turn around and bless the Lord with our voices this morning. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh your holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing 
He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy.
Dear God, thank you so much for the way you do love us. Father God, there's so many reasons why you shouldn't. But each and every day you pour out your blessings to us. Father God, you take us in our in your hand and Lord, you lead us and you guide us. And Father, I just praise you for that. As we are redeemed by your your name and your word.
Dear God, thank you. Thank you so much for allowing us to come to such a great church where me and my family could come and learn and grow together, become stronger together. And Lord, please bless these tithes and offerings that we're about to receive this morning, Lord. Bless them as we go out into our own community and spread your name and spread your word. Thank you for everything you do and just bless us and bless this church. Amen. Eternity in your hands You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before my failure And carried the cross for my shame my sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I do? But offer this heart, oh God, completely to you. So upon salvation your spirit alive in me this life to declare your promise my soul now to stand so what can I say what can I do but offer this heart of
of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul, Lord, you surrendered all. I am is yours. I'll stand with arms high, unabandoned, in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand, my soul. We're in John's third letter, and it's Stewardship Sunday, third John. There are no chapters, it's all one chapter, so the verses I'm going to read are verses 5 through 10. Before I do that, though, let me just um, say a personal note. We had a death in our family this week. Susan's stepfather died unexpectedly Monday, and we were in South Carolina for the funeral Wednesday and Thursday and got in late Thursday night. And uh, it's, a, it's a, an interesting story because Susan's mom was a widow, and when we moved to my last church, she asked the pulpit committee if there were an eligible widower or bachelor in the church, and everybody mentioned this one man. And, uh, you know, Susan, she waited a couple of years for somebody to introduce him. No one ever did. So she had him over to our house to eat and told him her mother would be there, and and uh, one thing, I said, Susan, you're wasting your time. But one thing led to another, and I performed their marriage in January of 1989. So they had 23 wonderful years together. And uh, when we were singing 10,000 Reasons to Bless the Lord, there's that verse that says, when my heart grows faint and my days are, are, are numbered and um, my life ends here, I still have 10,000 years to praise the Lord. And I'm grateful that we have that assurance. And Brian, I'm thankful for uh, parents and grandparents who uh, not only do what God tells them to do, but in so doing, model that for us and our children and our grandchildren. And that, that influence is powerful. And I'm grateful for that. And I thank you for your prayers. Uh, we have felt them this past week. I'm going to go to Savannah this afternoon and pick up Susan. She stayed a few extra days uh, to help her mom um, with thank you notes and, and details and that kind of thing. But we continue to covet your prayers. The sermon is entitled, Nice Guys Finish Last. And I just want to say from the outset that that's not a bad thing. 
because Jesus told us that the first will be last and the last will be first. So whatever you see as, as operating here on earth, you've got to turn that upside down on this head and realize the reversal that takes place when we get to heaven. And those folks who, who trample over others to get ahead and cheat and steal in order to win in this world will find out in the world to come how little that really matters and what matters is servanthood. And that's what John's talking about. The first few verses of John's letter is every letter talk about who the sender is, who the recipient is, and then give a greeting. And then it gets to the body, and it says in verse 5, Beloved, it is a loyal thing you do when you render any service to the brethren, especially to strangers who have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey as befits God's service. For they have set out for his sake and have accepted nothing from the heathen. So we ought to support such men that we may be fellow workers in the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge my authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he has done, prating against me with evil words. Prating is just a, it's another word for gossiping, chattering, idle talk. Not content with that, he refuses himself to welcome the brethren and also stops those who want to welcome them and puts them out of the church. So what is happening is missionaries are coming to visit this church and John's writing a letter to his friend Gaius and saying, Gaius, what Diotrephes is doing as a leader of the church is wrong. He is, he is in error. And I'm sending you this letter as, as my authority, as my proxy to correct Diotrephes and set things straight in the church. And then at the end of the letter, he says the same thing he says in 2 John, I will write more things to you, but I would rather do it in person when I come and get to see you face to face. Let's pray. Father, as we come, we are bombarded by the American dream to succeed and do whatever it takes in order to do so, to work hard, to, um, to climb over others, to, to do whatever, Lord, to be winners in this world, to, to finish first with the most possessions and the most power and the most authority. And yet Jesus comes and he says, he who would be first must be last. And whoever would be great among you must be servant of all. And it's hard to fit those two things together. So help us listen to Jesus and follow him. In your name we pray. Amen. Leo DeRocher was manager baseball team for a long time, and he's the first one I could track down who said, nice guys finish last. Nice guys finish last, but when it comes to Jesus, that's a good thing. And I want to tell you why in the next few minutes. Diotrephes was, he finished first in the world, but he was not a nice guy. He was in control of the community where he lived. He was in control of the church. He was the man. 
He was in charge. He was a leader in the church, but he was not the right kind of leader. He was doing things that were doing harm to the church. And so John is writing this letter to a man named Gaius, it says in verse 1, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. It's a man named Gaius, and John is warning him against the kind of leadership that Diotrephes is providing. Diotrephes is refusing missionaries, it says in verses 5 through 8. Folks who have come, they've set out for the sake of the gospel, they've accepted nothing, so we ought to support such men that we may, we may be fellow workers in the truth. And Diotrephes is turning these guys away. And not only is he turning them away, but he's also rebuking those in the church who are receiving them, who are accepting these missionaries. And not only that, but it goes on in verse 10. He says, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, prating against me with evil words, just gossiping, lying, idle chatter, just constantly stirring things up in the church. Now, this man, Diotrephes, is turning away missionaries and he's gossiping. And as I, as I was thinking about it this week, I was wondering, do these two faults of Diotrephes really warrant a letter in the New Testament? Turning away missionaries, gossiping. I mean, because of those things, we have one of the 27 letters in the New Testament Included. Is that really significant? And then I realized it's not just those things that John's addressing, it's the attitude that they represent. And let me just give you a few points about these verses that I came up with when I was driving to South Carolina and back over the last few days. The first thing I want to talk about is it's better to be open than closed. When good folks come to church to encourage the brethren, welcome them. Let them come and be of encouragement to the body. These missionaries aren't like the the ones that we have whom we send out onto the field and they return to bring a report. These missionaries are out on the field. These missionaries are coming to a church to do work. They are coming into Gaius and Diotrephes church to work. Why not welcome them? Why not receive them and let them Bring a word from John. Bring uh, encouragement in the gospel. Bring uh, more, more uh, depth and message and truth that this young church, this fledgling church, undoubtedly needs. Why not? Because Diotrephes is in control, and he doesn't want any outsiders coming in and either changing what he's doing, changing what he's managing, or even bringing a report back to John about what Diotrephes is doing. He likes the closed fellowship that he has under his thumb. Several years ago, we went on a a mission trip to Nicaragua. And uh, we were there for several days, and we went down to help uh, a a pastor and and a young church get established in this small community called Yali. It was up in the mountains north of Managua. And when we got there, there was a well-established denomination that had a church there, and they did not like our being there. And they made it pretty clear because every morning, I don't know why they they thought this would harm us, but every morning at 5 a.m., they turned music on their loudspeakers in their church, blaring loudspeakers, and woke everybody up. 
Now, it didn't really bother me because the roosters had already awakened me at 4.30. But uh, I don't know what they hoped to accomplish other than just remind everybody who was in charge, who was in control. All we were doing was passing out the gospel of Luke in Spanish and, uh, and just sharing a witness door to door. But the church that was there, well established, did not appreciate us coming into their closed community sharing the gospel, putting it into the hands of people, and uh, going door to door. And so they wanted everybody to know who was in charge, who was in control. And these outsiders, these gringos from America, were not welcome. Well, John writes Gaius a letter for the same kind of issues that, was, that were happening in this church. And John is urging Gaius to stand up to Diotrephes and and whereas Diotrephes may have been more respected and had more clout in the church, John is giving Gaius this letter of authority. John is, is saying, Gaius, here is my authorization for you to go to the church and show them this letter and show them that what Diotrephes is doing by not welcoming the missionaries, by gossiping about me, by spreading idle and evil tales, is doing harm to the body. Take this letter and show it to the body and, uh, and use this as, as my proxy, as my authorization from an apostle to set things right in the church because it's better to be open than closed. Second thing, it's better to be generous than stingy. It's better to be generous than stingy. And I, and I am inferring that because I assume that when Diotrephes has a closed church and a closed fellowship and a closed communion, that he is keeping a tight grip on everything in his life. Because when your stance towards life is open and your hands are open, then you're going to be generous with things. You're going to be welcoming to people. You're going to share what you have. But when you exert authority over people, then not only are you lording it over people, but you also have a closed fist on your possessions. And so there's two stances that you can take toward life. One of them is to have open hands, which give and receive. The other is to have clenched fists, which hang on to what you have and are unwilling to share. And, and all of us, I think, are one of those two stances. Either we're open or we're closed. Either we're generous or we're stingy. Either we share or we're in control and we're going to hang on to that control and hang on to our power and hang on to our resources with every inch of our being. John says these missionaries are coming. They've accepted nothing from heathen, so it's up to you, church, to support them. It's up to you to minister to them. It's up to you to receive them. Hospitality was crucial in, in John's day. They had such, such few inns. They had no hotels. They had no place to stay when they traveled. And they depended on the hospitality of, of the townspeople they visited and, and of the church where they were ministering. And if Diotrephes says, you're not welcome here, and not only that, but anybody who welcomes you is going to have to deal with me, when missionaries encounter that, what do they do? They, they're set on their way. And word of that lack of welcome gets back to John. And he sets out to set it straight. 
One of the, the main reasons for our stewardship is for missions. The cooperative program, the cooperative Baptist fellowship are missions sending arms of our convention. It's how we cooperate to do missions together. And a large percentage of our stewardship of what you contribute to the church goes directly to uh, the Georgia Baptist Convention, and, and from there it goes to the Southern Baptist Convention, some goes to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, and, and that is solely used to support missionaries. I believe our convention is the only convention where missionaries get their support from their convention. All other conventions, missionaries have to go out and raise their own support. But that takes too much time. And when missionaries are on the field, they need to devote themselves fully to the ministry and not worry about mission support and financial support. And that's a blessing that, that our missionaries receive from our convention. And our stewardship is important to make that possible. The third thing I want you just to, to see from these few verses is not only is it better to be open than closed, better to be generous than stingy, it's also better to be a servant than a boss. We are taught in America to be a boss, to climb to the top, to succeed. And that's who Diotrephes was. He was a leader. And, and let me tell you, our church needs leaders. But the problem is that Diotrephes was the wrong kind of leader. He was a kind of leader that lorded it over people, that controlled people. Um, and that's not the kind of leadership we need. Jesus was the kind of leader who served and whose leadership was strengthened by serving. Gaius was a common name in the early church. It, it would be equivalent to John Q. Public. He was just an everyday guy. And I imagine that he was frustrated and tongue-tied in church business meetings when he tried to stand up and, and speak against eloquent diatrophies who swayed the, the masses with, his, with influence and power and authority and control. But Gaius just loved Jesus. He loved the church. He loved his family. And he served them. And he knew what it felt like to get run over. Jesus came to show us a different way, not the way of Diotrephes that lorded it over people, but a way that served the importance of servanthood. And he taught us that you don't have to be successful to be faithful, but you have to be faithful to be successful. Diotrephes is the prime example of the danger of being number one, the inherent danger of being in control. And Jesus comes and gives us an alternate view, and he says that those of you who would be first among you must be servant of all. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So really we have two paths that we can choose between. We have the path of diatrophies that leads toward um, lordship, that leads toward power and authority, and everything the world teaches as being important. And opposite of that, we have the path of Jesus that tells us the way to be greatest among you is to be servant of all. 
Jesus also said in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, let me read it, Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. That's the way that leads to life. Nice guys may finish last in this world, but Jesus says those who are last will be first. So being last in this world is not a bad thing. Being a servant, being generous, being open is what leads to hearing Jesus' words one day, well done, good and faithful servant. He doesn't say, well done, good and faithful leader. Servanthood is the quality that Jesus not only teaches, but modeled for himself. Let's bow together. God, it's so hard to let go enough to trust you. To let go of our our finances. To let go of our desire to succeed and climb the ladder of success and, and do whatever it takes be willing to do so. Does that mean stabbing somebody in the back or, or um, cheating or, or lying or, or stealing or fudging on income taxes or on our tithe or whatever? The world implies that that's okay. And But you sent your son And he told us that the the path to greatness goes through a narrow gate. But it leads to life and those who find it are few. But we want to be among those. So help us relinquish our claim on greatness in this world (laughs) in order to find it in the world to come. We want to be servants. We want to be least among those on earth. So help us listen to you and not the clamor of the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing an invitational hymn this morning. If you want to turn your life over to Jesus, over to servanthood, over to being a follower.